welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. And today I have a wonderful guest all the way in the States, and it is Melissa Orlov. You may have heard of her, you may have read her books. And she is the founder of ADHDmarriage.com and author of two award-winning books on the impact of ADHD in relationships. She is considered one of the foremost authorities on the topic of how ADHD impacts adult relationships. And as a marriage consultant, Melissa helps ADHD-affected couples from around the world rebalance their relationships and learn to thrive through her seminars, consulting, and books. And Melissa also teaches marriage counsellors and other professionals about effective marriage therapy for couples impacted by ADHD. So Melissa, welcome to the podcast. I think your insights, your books, your knowledge, everything will be so important for the listeners. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Well, thanks, Kate. I'm happy to be here. So it's a big topic, isn't it? Marriage, relationships and ADHD. And and just to kind of give my personal, um, I've kind of mentioned it a few times in different episodes that my parents got divorced when I was young. I know there's ADHD going on in at least one of my parents. Um, there's ADHD in my family. There's a lot of divorce in my family. And I've seen it also with close family members, the impact ADHD can have on on a marriage and how difficult it can be. And so it's a very personal thing for me, but I also see it a lot with my clients. It either goes one way or another. I've either got clients who have got incredibly supportive um, partners um, really, really supportive, and they are there to help them and they they do a lot of their executive functioning side to the point where it goes almost a little bit too far. And sometimes they feel sort of infantilized, you know, maybe that their their partners take on so much that they their self-esteem is, is lowered. Again, I have talked about this personally from my aspect that my husband is very good at picking up all the small bits for me. And now since my diagnosis, he's even better at taking something from me before I get overwhelmed. So I'm very grateful for that. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I should really try. I should really try. Like I'll get something from the bank 
And that arrived, you know, the other day and I had sheets of things that I had to fill in. And he knew instinctively that was going to take me ages. It was going to frustrate me. I was probably going to do something wrong and have to cross it out. And he can do something like that with his eyes closed. So he just took it from me. So I was very grateful. But then afterwards, I was a bit like, I'm a grown adult. I should have been able to do that. So it's still, even with all the awareness in the world, it's still there. But I think that so many of us would like to maybe see what, hear what your insights are from all the years of counselling different ADHD couples of what the core traits that you see in, in these troubled marriages and how you help them. Well, there are so many things you've just asked there. I could go on and on. But before I do, I want to talk about your shoulda, woulda, coulda thing that you were mentioning. You know, uh, I should have been able to fill in the blank is one of the very real curses that you might carry around with you saying, oh, well, I should have been able to do this. And, you know, that's the sort of if I didn't have ADHD, it would be easy for me to do this kind of thinking. But it does feel overwhelming sometimes. And there are things that everybody, whether or not you have ADHD, does better some things and does less well other things. And the curse for the ADHD folks is that because of the specific sort of organizational things that are a struggle for people with ADHD, they can be very hard on themselves in terms of what they should be able to do or shouldn't be able to do or whatever. And so it is delightful that your husband is willing to support you in that way. And what I typically will say to couples is, so you're not so good at the organizing, but you probably are very good at other things. And so give yourself extra credit for taking on those things and do take on those things that you're very good at. And then it becomes a trade-off. It's no longer him compensating for you, but rather him doing the things that he's very good at and you doing the things that you're very good at. And the relationship feels more equal that way. So try not to fall into the, I should be able to do X and rather say, well, I'm really good at one thing and not so good at another. And so I'm going to do the things I'm really good at. Yeah. And I think, I think we do do that because as you were saying that in my head, I was thinking, actually, I do all the cooking in the house. And I think mm-hmm. that if he if he had to be left to do all the cooking every single day and think what to feed the children and think what we're going to eat and all of that, that would take him a huge amount of time. That would take him much longer than it would take me. But it's funny, isn't it, with our ADHD lens, maybe it's the RSD, maybe it's just this ingrained low self-esteem of all the things that we can't do. I just hone in on, but I should just be able to fill in a bank form. That would make me an adult, whereas I do loads of adult things. <laughs> Bank forms are hard. I, you know, you look at, I look at them. I don't have ADHD and my eyes glaze over like, oh, I can't believe I have to do this. It's easy not to give yourself credit for the things that you do do well. And the cooking is a perfect example. And so I think it's, uh, it's helpful to every once in a while take stock and say, what am I contributing that I, that is really useful? And to your point, your partner might, you know, stab himself with a kitchen knife or a fork or something if he had to do that every day, because it would be so hard for him. So and yet, probably doesn't go around saying, Oh, I should have been able to do the cooking or whatever it is. I mean, we can be really hard on ourselves as women, as well as people with ADHD. And I think it's, it's healthy to to try to push back against that um, tendency. Yeah, yeah. I think what you mentioned then about women, obviously this podcast is aimed at women and typically 
so much of comes into it is all the nuances of relationships and marriage and parenting as well. It all sort of kind of, you know, blends together. I know what you talk about a lot is this, you know, what we've been conditioned as women, what society ex expects of us and what we expect of ourselves and often what our partners expect of us. When we perhaps get the diagnosis, the ADHD diagnosis, and all of a sudden we get these answers and we understand what has been going on, it's still a hard pill to swallow, isn't it, when we are still not able to do the things that we think we should as women or as wives and, and partners or whatever. How often, I mean, do you see this a lot when you have couples come in? And, and how often is it from the female side that the ADHD is, is presenting and it's not coming in because the male has ADHD? Well, so the people that I work with are biased by the fact that they're finding me online and that they're in fact finding me at all because women tend to go online to look for these solutions, I think, more than, than men do. Um, not that men don't find me, some do. And I think women with ADHD have a sort of a double whammy because there are all these expectations about what you should be able to do, a lot of which has to do with organizing life and kids and, and sort of uh, things out of thin air. So if you're in a work environment, there is a structure that you need to fit to and that has certain deadlines and drivers and et cetera. And, um, and there are plenty of women who, who with ADHD who are doing that, but they are also on top of that doing the, the household organization. I mean, the research is very clear that um, women do more of the home organizing and task responsibilities than men do, even in the situation where a woman is full-time employed and her male partner is unemployed, the woman is still doing more hours of organizing and task responsibility and carrying all of that around with her. It's a huge burden. And it happens that the ADHD symptoms do not lend themselves very well to organizing out of nothing. Um, so if you have a structure you fit into, that's easier when you have ADHD, uh, even though it can still be a challenge, than if you have to create the structure yourself. So I do hear couples where the woman has ADHD, and one of the complaints is, is you know, my partner comes home from work, I've been home, I'm dealing with the kids or whatever, and they look at this messy household, and they say, what have you been doing all day? And I just want to like hit myself on the forehead and say, you know, you clearly haven't been home with four kids uh, trying to get everything organized and seeing how chaotic that can be and how much comes at you all the time. The good news is you can very much be in the moment responding on your feet. The bad news is the standard organizational executive function skills um, that make sure that you're on time for whatever you're trying to do or that the dinner is on the table at six on the dot or whatever. Um, that's, those are not typically ADHD strong points. So women really face a double whammy um, from societal expectations, often gender-based expectations from um, their partners if they're in a heterosexual relationship, and then the executive function skills that need to be strengthened um, with the ADHD. So it's particularly hard for women with ADHD. Yeah. And would you say that there is quite a high instance of marriage breakups or relationship breakdowns when one, at least one of the partners has ADHD? So yes, it changes over time. So the, what the research says is that in the 20s, in that sort of time frame, 
Um, the divorce rates are no different for, for couples that have ADHD than for couples that aren't impacted. But as the relationship goes on and the repetitive instances of the ADHD interfering, that the divorce rate um, does rise up. And what I see, the people that, con that find me are often sort of in their 50s, somewhere in there where they've been struggling with these repetitive patterns and trying to accommodate them. And most of the folks who, have, who are adults who have ADHD are actually not aware of the fact they have ADHD, at least when they got married. And so the things that were going on, you know, a partner who says, yes, absolutely, I'll do that, no problem, and then gets distracted or doesn't have the planning skills or only finishes 80% or is late or all the things that happen, um, and that goes on over and over and over and over again. And pretty soon, you know, some number of years down the road, the other partner is going, wow, you're just kind of untrustworthy. Like I, you say you're going to do something and then you don't do it. And what's with that? You know, you must not love me or care. And you move into this misinterpretation of the symptoms, the whether or not a person with ADHD can finish a project doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on whether or not they love their partner. It's all about the symptoms and all of the, not only the executive function stuff, but also the emotional entanglement of feeling badly that you're not doing things, being ashamed that uh, you didn't finish that project or you forgot to take something on or, you know, it becomes very complicated over time. So the divorce rates do go up over time. Um, but the other side of that is that if you find out about the ADHD, mm -hmm. then there are a lot of things that you can do to change those patterns. Yeah, I was just thinking then, you know, the amount of undiagnosed ADHD in marriage breakdowns and then, you know, all that awareness that they could have had, you know, if they'd had a diagnosis earlier on in life. And I guess it's awareness from the partner as well of understanding the ADHD and knowing what to let go of and what actually is important that has, is reflective of, of being a good partner. And because it is easy to say, you know, I can blame everything on the ADHD or I can let go of everything because he's got ADHD or she's got ADHD. But I think when there's a diagnosis and I'm, I'm hearing it a lot in, in women, especially that they're getting this diagnosis and they felt, again, this sort of term that I used before is that being infantilized by their partner. They've always felt very dependent on a partner or very much like their partner's got, you know, does everything and, and they don't and the balance isn't there. So now when they get the, the diagnosis, it kind of helps them realize, that, okay, I've just, my brain works differently. And, you know, now that we're learning more about neurodiversity, people are able to understand each other better. And I hope that that then has an impact on more successful relationships. But I've also seen, you know, sadly, the resentment build up, the friction build up and even though there's an ADHD diagnosis, sometimes that person can just be hard to live with and it can be challenging um, because it, there's only so much patience that someone can have if that person with the ADHD doesn't want to change. So it's so complex, isn't it? Because there's huge amounts of compassion and empathy needed, but also to be married to someone without with ADHD also can be hugely challenging on their side as well. Well, it is. And I think one of the myths that needs to be dispelled actually is that it's all about the ADHD because the ADHD symptoms 
um, are specific. In order to have ADHD, you have specific symptoms like chronic distractibility and difficulty organizing and things like that. Also emotional dysregulation often. And what you also have in a relationship is the sort of human nature responses to those symptoms. And so it's not just the ADHD, it's also the responses in this, in, to the symptoms. And for example, if you mis, misinterpret distractibility and the net result of chronic distractibility is that a pe person with ADHD may have a lot of difficulty actually paying attention to their partner, the human response to that is to think, well, because my partner doesn't pay very much attention to me, they must not care about me, particularly if you're in you know, any kind of conflict. And uh, that's a misinterpretation. But when you have that response to it, well, my partner doesn't care about me, then there are certain behaviors that you do. You might become resentful. You might try to chase after or pursue that person to pay more attention or whatever. And, um, and so those responses also matter as well. And so that's a, a really important thing for couples to understand. It's about learning how to correctly interpret the ADHD. It's learning how to manage the ADHD so that you can be a dependable enough partner in that relationship as is, you know, as both people define it. But it's also about the non-ADHD partners, male or female, learning about what the symptoms mean, how they manifest, and how to respond. So in the situation I just gave, if you respond to your partner by chasing after them or being angry with them or whatever, you're going to have a certain kind of struggle. If you instead respond to them and say, gee, you seem particularly distracted this week and I'm feeling a little bit lonely as a result, let's go on a date. That's a very different interaction and a very different outcome. So some of this is having more nuance in terms of how both of you respond to it. And that includes things you mentioned finding out about ADHD as an adult. It includes things like grieving together over the fact that you've just spent 15 or 20 years in a situation where you didn't know any better than to respond in those very kludgy sort of very human nature ways and that you've lost a lot of time. Maybe you've, you know, most of your kids' childhoods where you were fighting or something when you could have had a much more harmonious relationship being able to grieve together about that is one part of the healing process. Yeah, that's so powerful, isn't it? To be able to do that together and for them to be able to acknowledge, you know, there's other big challenges that can have huge impacts on a relationship, such as addiction and eating, um, disordered eating, um, you know, impulsive behavior, RSD, you know, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, I think for me is quite, a big one because I can see something. I look, I can look into something and really kind of like, oh my goodness, like, why has he done that? Or why has he spoken to me like that? Or why has he reacted like that? And he's just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And even with all the awareness that I have, and I work on this like every day, I now can spot the RSD. So it's sort of like more distanced, but it doesn't, take away that pain I feel at that time when I think he's not treated me nicely or spoken to me nicely or or he's walked out the room while I'm still talking which he has a tendency to do and so it's interesting that I think awareness is so key and so helpful but we also have to give ourselves compassion that it we still will have these tendencies. And um, again, you know, addiction is, is something that I've seen in my family um, 
that's ADHD related. And I, I know the impact that can have on families and relationships. And to live with that as someone that doesn't have ADHD, you know, is very hard. But I wonder, as people are listening to this, if they can give themselves that compassion and family members, because we see generational patterns emerging, don't we? I think when we get our ADHD diagnosis and all of a sudden we realise it's genetic and maybe we've seen a parent or a grandparent or a you know a sibling and all of a sudden we, we piece together all the things. And I wonder now that more adults are getting diagnoses later on in life, if this is our opportunity to break these patterns, these cycles that we've seen over and over in our families, is that something that you ever talk about or, or, or see in your practice? Yeah, I mean, it is hereditary. In fact, it's more hereditary than people realize. It's sort of along the same dimensions as hair color. So very hereditary. You know, when I, when I run into a couple, I say, okay, so whose parents, you know, and they, because the parents almost always had undiagnosed ADHD issues, they had the classic, uh, often had the classic struggles, or they had a very disorganized life, including often low levels of attachment because of the distractibility. And so there's not this role model of sort of what a healthy relationship looks like that that the partner brings in, which doesn't mean the non-ADHD partner doesn't have similar issues. You don't have to have ADHD to have an alcoholic in the family or something else like that. But yeah, they, there are these generational things. You do have the opportunity to change the way things go. I would say one of the most important thing. There are a couple of different patterns that are particularly important. One of them is dealing with the dysregulation that you're talking about. So if you think of the ADHD brain as a reward focused brain, in other words, the, the chemistry of that brain um, seeks satisfaction for things that feel rewarding. And that's one of the reasons why you have addiction issues and compulsive disorders and, and things like that. It's also extremely highly emotional. And as I went to a conference at one point, the keynote speaker was talking about how the ADHD brain is wired to create huge amounts of emotional content and has very weak breaks on that content. Uh, Ned Hallowell talks about it as a race car brain and, a, and bicycle brakes. It's very much like that that can be extremely destabilizing for both partners. You bring up how painful it is for you to have these feelings when you're in those highly charged emotional moments. And you go to them, if you're like most other people with ADHD, very, very quickly and intensely. You feel those things, that pain intensely. And if you associate that with your partner, then things can go south pretty, pretty fast. You start to want to avoid your partner because as a reward-focused brain, you avoid things that don't feel good. And so that people can run into that. The other thing that I see a lot is a, a quick move to rage. So this is another part of rage or defensiveness. This is another part of that emotional dysregulation. And so the non-ADHD partner ends up sort of walking on eggshells all the time because they don't know what's going to set you off. And so they self-edit. Uh, they end up sort of saying, well, okay, if I talk about this, my partner's maybe going to get enraged, so I'm not going to talk about that. But then they don't end up getting out of the relationship what they want to get. Mm -hmm. And so the relationship, it all contributes to this struggle. So one of the things that it's really important for a person with ADHD to do is really work on 
the emotional management, the management of the anger, the quick ramp up, any kind of rage they might feel. Your partner doesn't deserve to be on the receiving end of that. Even if you have trouble managing it, there are ways to do it. You can go work with a therapist, the cognitive behavioral therapy, or sometimes the the therapies that work with um, trauma can be very useful for that. Self-management through say mindfulness uh, work. Exercise is a great mood stabilizer. Um, you can set up verbal cues with your partner on um, if you start to look as if you're about to get enraged, like if you start to get really irritable or something and you're starting, your voice is changing tenor and you're getting really agitated, you can have a verbal cue in place, which allows the two of you to get separated from each other in terms of distance, physical distance, so that you don't say things that you regret or get any further revved up. There are lots of things you can do and it's a huge priority for couples to start to manage the emotional um, extremities of the relationship for both partners. So I'm just interrupting today's podcast because I want to let you know about a brand new program that I'm relaunching towards the end of January 2024. And I've got a sign up page on my website right now. I have to say this is probably one of my most exciting programs so far. This is all about changing the energetics from within and changing our stories, releasing old blocks, old conditioning and creating a new future, visualizing a new way of being and really letting go of the things that have been holding us back. This is all about our spiritual growth, leaning into what feels right to us and not doing all the shoulds and the needs and the comparing and working on the internal dialogue and the stories and the words that we say to ourselves. But often we find it very difficult to get there. So in this program, it's going to be me holding you accountable, motivating you, giving you practical, but also spiritual and energetic ways of shifting the dials, changing the way we think and the stories that we tell ourselves and the words that we use. It will be probably a 45 minute workshop every two weeks for about three or four months. So I'm going to be sort of handholding you, helping you make decisions and choices that feel right and aligned with you. This is stepping into your most truthful, authentic version of you and changing this reality and really leaning into a different way of being now that you have more awareness. I really believe that this is something that I've been working on for, for many years and I can't wait to finally share some of the tips and the ways that I have helped change how I show up in the world because it's very different to how it was five years ago. I'm really going to be creating a community of people who are ready to step out of a mentality that feels like the world has been doing things to them and start taking action and charge from a place that feels good to you. And this is not about doing, this is about being, this is about feeling. So if you really don't align with this sort of action and goal setting and sort of new new year resolutions, this may be a much softer approach for you and really work with our neurodivergent minds. So head to my website. You're going to see on the homepage, a sign up page. If you just put your name and email address there, I promise you that when this is all live and I've got all the details, you guys are going to be the first people to get it. Now back to today's episode. What you mentioned then about sort of using different techniques I work with EFT, which is emotional freedom techniques of tapping. And I work a lot with people 
doing that, just bringing their emotional regulation down and using every day is almost like a prevention mechanism to kind of keep them feeling more regulated, but also allowing them to release emotion as well. So if you we do sort of regular tapping, whether it's in a session where we're bringing some deep stuff up or we're just kind of tapping to kind of just to feel calmer, I find that can really help with emotional dysregulation, especially sort of like temper. I know for us women, hormones are severely impacted with ADHD. So we have different times of the month where we feel um, more in control of our emotions and our anger and, and certain times where we don't. And I think we do have to take responsibility for our side of the street. And unfortunately for us with ADHD, it's a bit harder and it's more time consuming. And I see this for myself and I see this a lot that those well-being and the lifestyle techniques that other people might not, you know, they can dip in and out of and they can kind of stay calm and, and balanced. For us, it's more effort and we do have to really ensure that we're exercising, we're eating correctly, we're hydrating, we're not depending on alcohol and drugs and other, you know, substances because I think our emotional system, our nervous system is, is so much more sensitive if we can manage that from ourselves with an understanding partner as well. Because we can do all the work on ourselves, but if our partner is refusing to do the reading, the listening to the podcast, to open their mind, I mean, do you, do you find that a lot? It does help a great deal for the partner to be involved in a whole bunch of different ways, actively interacting. When I talk with uh, people with ADHD about managing ADHD, I talk about three legs, the first of which is physiological, which is things that help change your brain, like medications and exercise and better sleep and things like that. And, and by the way, for mood management, sometimes medications also help. I know the tapping, it can be very useful. But I have also seen couples where, you know, a partner starts on an antidepressant or something like that and then and does much better in terms of keeping their moods more stable. And then the second leg of the treatment is the, the, the sort of executive function and support structures that the ADHD partner puts in place, the systems that they create in order to help remember things, do things in a timely way, plan things more easily, et cetera. And then the third one is what is part of what you're talking about here, which is how couples interact with each other. So I gave the example of having a verbal cue. Um, if somebody starts to get irritated or, or elevated or whatever, that's an example of an interactive strategy where, where both people have decided when they're not angry, how are we going to respond when this particular situation comes up? And they have a set cue and a set response. So one of the cues that I teach couples is, uh, is to set up a word that is... Um, an unusual word that means, hey, things are starting to get elevated. We need to disconnect right now. The one that I used to use was uh, aardvark, which nobody uses in conversation. And what aardvark meant was things are getting out of control. Neither one of us wants to be hurting each other or in a big argument. Let's, let's both stop talking, which we did. We would stop talking. And then uh, we would sell each self-calm and see if we could come back to the conversation right then. And if we couldn't, we would come back to it later. So that's important. But there are, as you say, there are different times of the month for women. And also as women age, ADHD symptoms tend to get worse. So there's a lot of evidence that suggests that 
when you go through perimenopause and menopause, ADHD symptoms get worse. And that's because estrogen and dopamine production are tightly interlinked. And so uh, women at that age may need to change their management. Uh, if they're using medications, maybe change their dosing or change how they're approaching their day. Um, proactively keeping themselves calm is useful. The nature of RSD is that it comes on you very quickly. And so it's, you, you can proactively manage it to a point like with meditation or something or exercise or whatever, but you also have to have these interactive strategies in place typically to be able to really get the emotional content of the relationship to a healthy place. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned about, you know, perimenopause is so important because I've spoken to a few different specialists about this. And we we now know that using hormone replacement therapy, um, HRT, is very helpful because, again, we've got the estrogen, the dopamine into play. So if we can help ourselves in, in that challenging time as well, I think we need to, as, as women, really reach for the tools that are going to help us and, and give us the energy and the life and the, and the you know, relationships and all the things that we deserve. Um, but, you know, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast was because if I speak to someone that they're not going through perimenopause, but they are needing help with temper and, and managing their anger, then they can pick and choose what they want from the different conversations. You know, certain things may, they may be able to relate to. But with regards to this conversation, many people I do speak to are in marriages or, or partnered up. And there are certain things that do keep coming up time and time again, whether it is this not feeling enough just not feeling enough that they are maybe dropping balls, they're not doing enough for their children. I, I do hear this as, as well when they are working, they're doing all the things and they forget one thing for their child and they lambast themselves. And no matter how much walking we do and how much breath work we do and meditation, that deep pain as a mother if you feel like you've done something that potentially might scar your child. And, and again, I come back to the, the generational patterns because I'm just thinking of a client that I recently had. And she had a memory of perhaps maybe she had an ADHD mother and diagnosed. And the AD, and this the mum forgot to do something for school and she had to go into school. And it was, you know, very blatant that she was the only one that, you know, hadn't brought that this thing in. So now she as a mother is trying to overcompensate. So it's adding to her anxiety, adding to this perfectionism, this need to control. And I see it just pop up in so many different ways from being parented perhaps by an undiagnosed ADHD parent and maybe for myself as well. So yeah, we've got to contend with a lot, don't we? There's, there's a lot going on <laughs> as adults with ADHD. I just want to give all those women big hugs. <laughs> you know, uh, self-compassion is hard to find. And it's hard to remember that the thing that you forgot for school isn't going to change anybody's life. On the other hand, and the reason that, it's, that it feels so big is because it's hooked into all those childhood memories and this desire to, you know, be a great mom and this sense that there's a, a, an issue that many adults, men and women, with ADHD carry around with them, which is very large levels of shame and feeling that they're not good enough. And this comes from a long history, typically, 
of people that they care about, parents, coaches, teachers, friends, saying you could be so much better if you would only do X, or even their own observing that their friends do something very easily and they don't uh, do it as easily and what must be wrong with them. And there are all these reinforcing messages. And if you didn't know about the ADHD, you had no explanation for why it was that this was such a struggle for you and it wasn't for other people. And so there's this huge amount of shame and shame is a horrible emotion to engage with. So thinking back to that reward-focused brain, there's a lot of avoidance that goes on <laughs> to not engage with it. And yet we do. And women in particular will go and, um, la as you say, lambast themselves for not being perfect or not doing anything rather than saying, you know what, my kids are actually doing pretty well. And yeah, was their face dirty last night when they went to bed? Sure they were. Sure it was. Or, you know, did I forget something or were we late? Yeah. Is that going to change the world? No. You know, it, it'll be okay. Um, and the more important stuff is that they're happy, they're healthy. They're not growing up not knowing about the ADHD. They actually know about it. They're getting the school support that they need to get. Uh, and, uh, and therefore will avoid many of the problems that I had. Um, again, looking for that positive side of what you're doing right and not just focusing in. And as human beings, we are biologically set up to notice the negative. It's the survival strategy. We have to work to notice the positives and yet the positives are there. Um, there are many things um, that these parents are doing right in terms of accepting their kids or wanting the best for their kids or trying, you know, trying really hard to, to do things or being enthusiastic or available or whatever the thing is that they're doing. So, you know, you mentioned something else and I, I want to go at this from the relationship standpoint, you mentioned feeling less than or not, not enough. And I, we've been talking about it sort of as women and people with ADHD in general. But I also want to talk about it from the relationship perspective, because partners can inadvertently reinforce this um, with their own um, expectations. And one of the worst patterns in terms of damage that it does for a couple is what I call parent-child dynamics, where the non-ADHD partner is over-functioning in the relationship and the ADHD partner is under-functioning in the relationship and it leads to bad feelings on both sides. The non-ADHD partner doesn't want to be the manager and often feels forced, you know, if I don't do it, it won't get done kind of mentality. And the ADHD partner does not want to be under contributing or feeling less than or feeling like they're incompetent or whatever it is. And yet, you know, is struggling to manage the ADHD symptoms. It's very poisonous. It's incredibly unsexy. Uh, it's not romantic. Uh, and and it's, it, after a while, really leads to um, a sort of coming apart of the relationship. I could talk for hours just on this topic, but the sort of bottom line response to that is for the ADHD partner to work as hard as they can to optimize the management of the ADHD for dependability and for standing up for themselves and saying, you know what, I want a larger role in this relationship. And yes, I understand I have problems with organizing or whatever it is, but we're going to figure out what's, you know, uh, make sure that my strengths and my value is is utilized and appreciated and part of the relationship. And for the non-ADHD partner to provide space, like to back away from saying, 
if I don't do it, it won't get done. And instead start to say, how do we make our particular relationship, not related to how the world should do things, Mm -hmm. but related to who we are as individuals? How do we get the strengths from both of us and complement each other and appreciate each other and let go of some of the stuff that isn't world changing, like being late to school or being, you know, whatever um, the thing uh, is. And couples, it's hard to get out of those patterns, but couples have to get out of those patterns if they're going to thrive. Yeah. Oh my goodness. hundred percent. And it's those reinforced roles, isn't it? That perhaps have, that have just become stronger and stronger, or we are working to the the beat of what society expects of us or what they expect of um, a heterosexual couple, say, of what the man should be doing and then the woman should be doing. And actually, sometimes it works better for the woman to be working and the man to be at home, or it works better for to get household help if certain things aren't getting done properly. But I think it's when we drop the exterior, what other people, you know, the fear of the judgment of people looking in and we work to how you know how we best thrive in a relationship as parents or as just adults in a relationship it's very freeing when we drop those expectations but I reckon it does take a diagnosis I think it takes outside help and support Um, books like yourself coaching therapy because it is hard to find these insights yourself and and you know even just listening to a podcast can give you ideas how to thrive in in a relationship that works for you before we go I'd love to leave on a a positive note and I love all your positive reframes because I think they're so helpful if someone's just been recently diagnosed and their relationship has been slowly sort of nosediving over the years and they, they've got this diagnosis and it's a potential new chapter to their life, what would you suggest for, for, for a couple that do want to w- work things out, they do want to thrive and um, with this new awareness of ADHD going on? Where, where would you, what would you, advice would you give them? Well, I mean, the first thing that I would say is that that um, finding out about the diagnosis, having the diagnosis of ADHD is very good news because you've had the symptoms there anyway, but you didn't know what they were and you couldn't properly uh, interpret what was going on. So now you have a framework and that opens up a lot of different areas of potential for you, not only for managing the ADHD um, with medications, which you can only get with a, a, a diagnosis, if that's what you choose, it's not what you have to do, but that's one option that opens up. But also all these ADHD-friendly strategies and the information about how couples can better interact with each other and et cetera. So the first step really is not only embracing that diagnosis and, and you know heaving a, a sigh of relief that now you have it, but also really learning everything you can about the optimal management of ADHD. It is not about just taking medications. Pills don't teach skills. There's a lot to learn and a lot to do, and it takes a lot of effort, but there's a huge upside potential from from learning that stuff. So this is what I have been dedicating my life to since 2007, so a long time now, is helping couples understand what's going on for them, introducing them to strategies that uh, that they can use and how to set those up and use them. And it's still a lot of work. There's no magic wand. I mean, I like to tell couples, and sometimes they're surprised by this, sometimes it takes about a year actually after a diagnosis to really take on board what it means to have ADHD 
and to start really working through what your specific management needs to be. What are the target symptoms that you're going to focus in on and work on specifically? How do you set those? What are the strategies that match up with that particular set of target symptoms? Really getting yourself on on a path to um, improving your own life. Um, the target symptoms, you have to have six or eight symptoms to be diagnosed with ADHD. You can't just have three. You couldn't possibly work on six or eight symptoms simultaneously. So this idea of picking target symptoms is to help focus you in on what's the most important. For example, maybe it's impulsivity or rages or you know the emotional dysregulation part. If it's the emotional dysregulation part, then there are specific strategies that you would follow to start to address that specific issue. It's a very different set of strategies than if you're trying to address executive function disorganization. So that's why you choose target symptoms is so that you know, let's narrow down the thousands and thousands of things you might be able to do to something that's gonna move the needle for you in your relationship. Yeah, I think it's so powerful. And I know that you talk a lot about this in your, in your different books. I mean, how do you work with people now if people listen to this podcast and would love to hear more from you? What's the best way for people to connect with you? The good news and the bad news is that an awful lot of people identify with what I do. And so I have actually started primarily engaging with people through my couples seminar and through my uh, support groups and things that I give through my website. So um, the website is at ADHDmarriage.com. I give a, a very good, actually, couples seminar three times a year by um, uh, Zoom. Uh, for people who are in the UK, um, lots of times I, I suggest that they sign up for the live one, but then listen to the set a time like a day later or whatever, listen to the recording so that they can send me their questions and, and be engaged with me. And also so they have the regular schedule to keep them on track. But I do try to answer questions when people contact me through the website. I do try to help people find resources, et cetera. There's just this process, particularly when you're starting out, where you just want to learn <laughs> what's going on and try to start to um, integrate your learning and your partner's learning. So I do consult with couples sometimes, but I've found that I can reach a lot more people um, through the seminar. So that's where I focus much of my effort now. Yeah, listen, I think your support and your tools are hugely needed and a lot of very grateful people just for this conversation, but also for the, for the work that you've contributed. So thank you. I will make sure that I put all the information if people are interested in the seminars, I'll put that in the show notes so they can sign up for that. Thank you, Melissa. I really appreciate your time. I really love this conversation. And for me, you know, personally, I've learned and also hopefully to be able to pass on to my clients as well. So thank you so much for your time. Kate, I'm so glad to have been here to talk with you. It's been fun and uh, good luck with all of the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. And I hope to speak to you very soon. So that's today's episode done. Did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. 
And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.